Well, good evening. Um, welcome to the living room, because I haven't had the chance to welcome you to the living room, so I'm so grateful that I get the chance to speak to you tonight. Uh, my name is Brad, if we've never met before. I'm on staff here in the college ministry, and uh, we love the living room, and most importantly, we love you guys, and I want to say thank you so much for coming out tonight. Uh, I'm just curious in the room, um, and I, you might be an introvert, and I'm going to refer to introverts maybe a couple times throughout the, the night tonight, but um, I'm just curious, if you're here for the very first time, can I just see a show of hands, first-timers here tonight? That is amazing, by the way. Can we just give it up for our first-timers here tonight? So, um, so that's really, really important to know. Thank you for coming. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if somebody invited you here. I don't know if there just was a bus like outside your dorm and you're like, uh, I don't know where it's going, but it's better than here right now. And you, you got here and you got chicken fajitas, you know, in the process. So that was a pretty good deal. But um, I just want to catch you up. We're in this series called Fighter. This is uh, week three of Fighter and we're wrapping it up tonight. And uh, really tonight is about a message that I believe that's kind of been throughout the history of our college ministry. We continue to share this uh, message. I'll talk about that in a moment. But in case for all of you new people, you're like, what's Fighter about? Fighter is a good thing, by the way. We want you to be fighters, and we just believe that sometimes in life, there are things worth fighting for. And so week one, uh, depending on which campus you were at, or Georgia State or Georgia Tech, you either heard Sam or at Georgia Tech, or uh, you heard Trey at Georgia State talk about fighting for your faith. And this is uh, what we said in week one. We said that you need to set your sight on the ultimate over and above the immediate. And, and uh, the speakers those weeks um, talked about the importance of setting your eyes on Jesus, fixing your eyes on him because he is what's ultimate and that we've got to cast off everything that gets in the way of, of our faith, everything that hinders us, everything that stops us from experiencing Jesus. And so we said we got to think about the ultimate over and above the immediate. We sometimes say it around here is like we cannot let what's urgent, you know, take over what's most important. And we believe having a relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing, most important relationship that you can possibly have. And you've got to fight for that because everything in this culture and everything in this world is fighting against that. And then week two, you were here two weeks ago. We had Reed, who is an amazing communicator. Hopefully we'll have Reed back. And he's hilarious. We laughed at a lot of his stuff. He, he's absolutely incredible. But he talked about that life is like a group project. That's what he said. Life is like a group project. And ultimately, this is what he said here. He said, your best possible life is impossible alone. And he, he also shared a passage from the book of Hebrews. And, and he talked about that in that passage that we should encourage one another. And we, we have to do this together, not alone. We have to do life alone. We have to draw near to God together. And so your best possible life is uh, impossible alone. And so you've got to do that in community. And that's why we talk about small groups all the time. We believe that your life can best change, change for the better when you are doing life with other people that have common interests with you. And that's why we always talk about small groups. And if you come to our church on Sunday, we talk about small groups. We always say that circles are better than rows and you're in rows now and we love rows and we love the living room and we're so glad you came. But, but it is so much better when you can get in a small group with people Share your struggles with one another, be transparent with one another, and, and grow in your relationship with each other and with God. Because life is best when you are doing it with another group of people. And it's so much better. Your best possible life is, is, is impossible alone. Impossible alone. So that leads us to week three. 
And, and what's so unique about all these things is it's not natural for you to fight for these things for the most part. It's not natural for you to fight for faith. I mean, it just really isn't because everything's going against you. And for, for you to fight for community right now, for you to fight for your relationships with one another, it's really tough for you to fight for those things because right now you are exposed to so many opportunities on your college campuses that you, you have, most of you, if you are living in school, at, at school, if you're living at home, even if you're going to school on campus, you have a tremendous opportunity for community. Now, I don't know if you're fighting for the right kind of community or if you're even thinking about, man, I've got to fight to get the right people around me that I can do life together with. And so that's weeks one and two. And tonight, I want to talk to you about one more fight that we think is vital. And the fight I want to talk to you tonight about is the fight for influence. The fight for influence. And before I get into what we're talking about, I need to define a problem for us. It's a problem uh, that is true in this city. It's a, it's a problem that's very true in your college campus. It's a problem that is true all over this nation and really around the world. And that is that people are moving away from Christianity, that there is a growing trend in this nation for people to move away from Christianity. And, and it's, it's like there is research and data, and I could bore you. In fact, I had charts and, and graphs that I'm, I'm not kidding. You can talk to Mitch because he's like, I don't think they want to see that, you know? And, and I know you've been in class, and you're like, you don't need to come back to class. But there are, there are statistics that just show that year by year, people are moving away from Christianity. And it is a growing problem. And it's very prevalent on your college campuses. You run into it all the time. That's why the street preachers show up all the time. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't just show up because they think, you know, I've got a captive audience or they, they enjoy being made fun of, which I'm not for the street preachers, by the way. I just want to say that publicly. And I did say that publicly. But, um, but there is a growing trend that people are moving away from Christianity as opposed to moving towards it. And here's why. This is the, the people's, these are just the general summarization of people's opinions of Christians. Just look, look at this. Christians are judgmental, okay? And that's the, the world just thinks, man, Christians have an opinion of us. They don't like our lifestyle. They're not into it. And, and, like, and they, we have a label as Christians. If you call yourself a Christian and you run into a non-Christian, they would say that they think that Christians are judgmental. And they're like, you're always looking to remove the speck in our eyes, but you're not seeing the plank in, in your own very eye. That's, that's kind of the response. And even if they don't know that story from the Bible, they would say, hey, for the most part, you're judgmental. And that leads to the second thing that they think of us is that you're hypocritical. And that is um, you have a standard that you think we should be living to, but you're not living to that standard. And so the world thinks that Christians are hypocritical. And I think it's fair to say that they, they could be accurate in some of that. And, and in many ways, they don't have a really good understanding of grace and mercy and why we need a savior in the first place, but, but we're labeled as hypocritical. The next thing is this, that we're closed-minded, that Christians in general, not just in general, they would say that Christians are closed-minded people. And, and in fact, they would say, we're better known for what we're against than what we're for. That's what, what non-Christians think of us. And then they, they would say that we're self-centered, okay? It's right connected to that, that self-centered. And what I mean by that is, um, is that we are so focused on our own beliefs that we cannot, you know, we won't entertain any conversations. This is back to the closed-minded thing, but it's also self-centered because it's like, it's, it's my way 
or nobody else's way. It's, it's, it's the way of faith or nobody else's way because we, it's all about me and what I believe is what non-Christians think about us. And finally, they would say this, that we're political. And this is the one that honestly really bothers me um, because I, I, I'm not going to make any, I'm going to try not to make any political statements. I know we kind of had a political joke earlier. I don't know if you heard that one. It's okay. It was just a joke. I just want to say that out loud here. But I'm not going to try to make a political statement, you know, tonight. I, I mean, you should get involved. You should be involved. You have a voice and all of that. And I believe that. I'm not trying to be, make light of that. I mean, if you want to vote for me for president, I would be okay with that. I, I mean, if you want to vote for Andy Stanley, our pastor, I think he'd do a much better job than I would. Um, and I think he, you know, I could make a political statement there. But, but that's, no. Here's the deal about politics and Christians. that just There is so much anger from Christians about politics right now. And it's, it's unbelievable to me because the statement I will say is that, is that we think that God's not in control. At the end of the day, it's like, how could this happen to our nation? Or how could this be? Or how could we let this candidate or that candidate be elected? And it's like, who do you think's in control? Do you think our, you think our, you know, our government is in control? And I'm just saying, like, it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't matter. Whoever gets elected, I promise you this, God is going to use them one way or the other. And we get so wrapped up in that and we're so, we politicize things. Christians politicize things. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter, even though I just said it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it, you shouldn't vote or anything like that. I'm just saying that Christians are known for being political. And this is why, these are the reasons why people are moving away from Christianity because they don't want to be involved or associated with any of this at the end of the day. And so we have an incredible problem. And I hope that that's not new news for you. You understand that. And um, I'm really, really encouraged tonight. I just want to say that to you. Because I believe that you can change the perception of Christianity. I really believe that. I believe that you can change the perception of Christianity on your campus and in this city. I really, really do believe that. We have students in here from uh, Georgia State, don't we? Don't we have some students from Georgia State? Um, we have some students from Georgia Tech as well. Yeah, come on, Tech, where are you? I know it's test week. Y'all felt like you were going to get shouted out or something, like outshouted. We got a good crew from Georgia Tech here. I met students from uh, Spelman tonight. I met some people from McDonough, Georgia tonight. I met some people from, um, we got Art Institute in the back corner. You're here, Chelsea. I see you back there. And, uh, and we have students from uh, Perimeter College. I know that is in the room, even though we don't call it Perimeter anymore. We have non-students in the room that aren't in school. And I know you're here, you're college age, and we love you. You know, we're open to all people. I just want to say that. If, you're, if you, you you know, you're 18 to 23, 24. Hey, you're welcome here. If you're 25, we'll still take you, okay? Um, at some point, we got to move you on, okay? But I really do believe in you. It's why we do the living room. I mean, we do the living room to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we lead your friends into that. But I really, we believe in you. This church believes in you. And I believe you can change the perception 
of Christianity. And I just want to say, if you're here tonight and you're one of those people that maybe you walked onto the bus and didn't know where you're going, or maybe a friend invited you and said, look, you're getting dinner. Okay, I think the music's going to be good. I don't know about the speaker guy, but come. You know, hey, we're so glad you're here. And if you don't have faith or you don't know Jesus and you're like, I'm not sure about this God thing, I'm not sure about the church thing, we're so glad you're here. And this is what I want you specifically, if you don't know Jesus and you're here tonight, I just want you to hear what we're going to look at from the Bible tonight, so two verses, okay, just from, the, from Scripture, these two Scriptures that we're going to look at, I want you to just hear how I believe we can change the perception of Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, I would love for you to respond by telling your friend who invited you. And if you didn't have anybody that invited you and you want to come talk to me or Beth or you want to talk to Kendrick or, or anyone else about what's going on, I know somebody like, I'd like to talk to Kendrick. So, uh, no, but anyway, listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I would love for you to just share your response to it and go, okay, that, that could be true. Or maybe you don't think it's true. But I believe that we can change the perception of Christianity on your campus and in the city and for wherever you go for the rest of your life. And so we're going to look at this verse uh, that Paul wrote. Paul um, wrote many letters in the New Testament. And here's the thing about Paul. Paul hated Christians. His name was Saul, and he was a hater of Christians. In fact, he went around, and it was his mission to put people in jail. And one day, he was on the way to put some more Christians in jail. He called them followers of the way. And he got intercepted by Jesus Christ himself, who blinded him and started speaking to him and uh, basically changed the course of Paul's life for forever and said, not only um, am I real, these people that you're persecuting, but you're persecuting me. And not only am I real, Paul, but I'm going to use you to tell people about me, okay? It was, it's the most amazing story. You should read the Bible. It's incredible. And so Paul wrote this letter to these people in uh, Thessalonica, okay? They're, they're called Thessalonians. And he writes this letter to them, and he makes these two statements that actually he had told them about in person, and he's reminding them of it. And this is what he says, and this is going to help us figure out how we can change the perception of Christianity. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And so Paul starts off and he says, make it your ambition so what he's saying is, you, I mean, we've got some ambitious people in the room. I know we've got some ambitious people in the room. And he's saying, I want you to work really, really hard. I want you to strive strenuously. That's what it means. I want you to strive hard. I want you to be disciplined. I want you to be diligent at being quiet, at having a quiet life. I want you to work hard at having a quiet life. Now, I would be, I'd venture to say that you probably didn't wake up this morning on a Monday morning and it's like, man, my ambition for the day, God, is I really want to have a quiet life. What does that mean? What is Paul talking about when he says, I want you to have a quiet life? I want you to live a quiet life. Well, um, the word actually translates just a cessation, a cessation, I can't even say that word, a silence of speech, okay, basically is what that word means, or rest after work. That's how the word actually translates, that there would be like some rest after work. But really, what he's really trying to say is, I want you to have um, humility. I want you to have humility, which means that I don't want you to be entitled, okay? 
I don't want you to be entitled. And so I want you to have humility. And that's a knock uh, apparently upon the millennial generation that you are an entitled generation in many ways. I'm not saying that's true of the students here at the living room tonight. I'm just saying that that's sometimes a criticism that comes your way. And it's like, hey, we're, we, we, we deserve things. But here's what humility looks like. We got any people from uh, Piedmont North in the room tonight? Piedmont North people? Man, God bless you guys from Piedmont North. Okay, yes. Okay, if you, if you are, live in Piedmont North, you have to walk the Piedmont Mile. They know what I'm talking about right now because they didn't know that when they got registered for school. No one told them and they showed up and they, they felt like they got bamboozled. They're like, state, you didn't tell me about the Georgia State Mile on Piedmont Road, okay? But it's the furthest dorm away from all the classes. And here's what a, life, a quiet life for you Piedmont North students look like, okay? You walk out of your dorm, you're hitting Piedmont, and you're not complaining about the mile that you got to walk to class. You're going, God, thank you so much that I get to go to Georgia State, this great school. And if you're on Hope Scholarship, you're like, Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, okay? And you were, you were excited about the opportunity to be at Georgia State. And you're thankful for the exercise you're getting on the Piedmont Mile, okay? That's what's going on, okay? So that's a little humility there. But, but the, uh, leading a quiet life is about being responsible. It's about being faithful, okay? It's about being faithful. It's like, hey, I'm gonna do what I'm expected to do, Okay? That means I'm going to go to class. Hello? I'm going to go to class. Okay? We're only a month in, people. You should still be on board with that, that message tonight. Okay? <clears throat> but a quiet life doesn't... The opposite of quiet life is a loud life. And the opposite of a quiet life is always drawing attention to yourself. It's a me-centered life. Okay? And he's saying, don't be me-centered. And, you know, I mean, in this social media age, you know, we, we love to take a good selfie, you know? And I'm not arguing against selfies. Don't, please, if you're a guest here, be like, man, the preacher said don't take selfies. I am all about a selfie, okay? Every, time, every once in a while, it's like, man, I, I, need, I need to take a good selfie. This is a good moment, you know? But, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes in social media world, we always want to just make our life look so cool to everybody. It's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And a quiet life isn't drawing attention to oneself. And what Paul is saying is he's like, make it your ambition. Work really, really, really hard at leading a quiet life. He follows it up with a second idea. He says, mind your own business. And I don't think I need to spend much time on minding your own business, but I'll just be really honest with you. This is really hard for me. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Y'all can laugh. That's, I, I, I'm okay with that. You can laugh at me. But it's true that I struggle with minding my own business. And this is crazy. Before I worked here, I started working here um, about 12 and a half years ago. But before I worked here, I worked with nine people at another organization, okay? We were nine people in one office. We knew everything that was going on. I mean, there's nine people to get to know. Okay, here, just so for the, you new people, there's six different churches here. We have a staff of over 500 people here, Okay. That's crazy, okay? And um, for someone who has a tendency not to mind his own business, there's a lot of conversations that are going on that I try to get myself into that I don't need to get myself into. I'm just being honest with you. But I want to be in the know, you know? I just am like, hey, 
There's a lot of people going on. There's a lot of stuff going on around here. I want to know, you know? And I don't know if you're wired like that, but like you can call me out on this. You're going to be like out in the lobby and I'm going to walk up to some conversation. You're going to be like, who's the awkward old guy? And it's like, hey, I get it. I'm the awkward old guy. And, and, but I want to be in with, with, you know, the college students and I want to know what's going on. And, and, and here's the thing I got to do. I'm like, I got to ask this question. This is the question that I, I got to put a filter in. And this is the question. Is it helpful for me to be involved in this conversation? Okay. And that's what I got to ask myself. And I think for you, this is a great question to ask when, when it comes to minding your own business. Is, is it helpful for me to be involved in this conversation? Now, if the conversation's about sports, sure, it's going to be helpful, you know? I mean, I, I, no, no feelings are going to be hurt about sports, you know? I mean, maybe some feelings, but that's superficial, you know, it's sports. But now if it's relationships, I better shut my mouth, you know? I better not say anything. I better, you know, unless it's all guys and I need to tell them, hey, you got to rethink this plan because this plan is not good right now. This approach is not going to work, okay? Like if it's that, that conversation, maybe I need to get involved because maybe I could be helpful. But, you know, when you walk up into conversations and you interrupt and you're like, what's going on? Like you, you just ask the question, is it helpful for me, for me to dive in? Do I have to be the first one to say something or can I just listen? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Sometimes... We, meaning Christians, don't have the best reputation at minding our own business. And the church and Christianity would be a lot better off if there were Christians who minded their own business. And finally, he says this. He says, work with your hands. Work with your hands. Now, I need to tell the context of what's going on because context is really, really important when you're trying to understand scripture. And I probably should have led with the context because all three of these things actually uh, are impacted by what was happening. But this is crazy, okay? And you have to understand this if you're gonna understand the importance and the weight of this passage, okay? But here's the thing. When Paul wrote this, this is crazy. The people in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, they believed that Jesus was coming back, okay? You're like, whoa, aren't we supposed to believe that? Yes, we're supposed to believe that. If you're a Christian, you should believe that. But here's what's so crazy about it. You see, they had met or they had heard about these disciples that had lived with Jesus. And in fact, if you go back to Acts chapter one, they were standing there, you know, weeks after Jesus had been risen from the dead, and all of a sudden, this is crazy, read your Bible, but Jesus takes off into the air, and they're watching him take off into the air. And as he's taking off to the, in, into the air, he disappears, and two angels appear. And the two angels say, what are you looking for? And they're like, well, what? I mean, who would not be looking right now, angels? The Jesus, the son of God, who was just raised from the dead, started flying. We've never seen anyone fly before, angels. I don't think we're at fault for looking in the air right now. And they said, this Jesus who just left will come back in the same way that you just saw him leave. And they believed that Jesus was coming back. But not only that, they believed that Jesus' return was imminent, meaning he was coming soon that he was coming really, really, really soon. And so the people in Thessalonica took this to heart. Some took it so to heart that they quit their jobs. 
they quit their jobs because they're like, why go to work? I mean, why should you work if Jesus is coming back? Did you know that Jesus was coming back? What are you doing going to work today? Jesus is coming back, and they took it. They were, they were living it out. They were like, man, this is incredible. Jesus is coming back. We're going to see Jesus coming back. I think you're wasting your time at work. Now, I, just to, to give you a little bit of a microcosm of what this would be like, um, do y'all remember the um, snowpocalypse a couple years ago? Everybody remember where you were in the snowpocalypse? Okay, this is amazing to me because I grew up in North Carolina and we got out of school pretty frequently during the winter because of snow and things like that. But, um, but it was amazing to me to watch Atlanta react to that. And unfortunately for all of us here, the snowpocalypse has ruined any like, chance of, good, you know, of bad weather in the future because if we get a hint of bad weather, there is just a big deal made about weather now in Atlanta. And, um, and so I don't know if you were like this, but me growing up, I always like... Um, was hoping and wishing for like the bad weather to come because I had a book report due or I had the test the next day. And I'm sure none of you ever did something like this during snowpocalypse or any other things like last year when they kept saying the weather was going to be bad and they were like, the wintry mix is coming and they would show you the line like Chris Holcomb on 11 Alive would be like, yes, you know, it's going to be down here in Fulton County. And you're like, yes, it's coming to Georgia State. We're not going to have class tomorrow. And then you woke up the next morning and there was nothing on the ground. You know what I'm saying? All right, and and you didn't do the work because you're like, hey, we got the night off, you know? I don't have to do the work. Okay, that's okay. I mean, I don't recommend that, but you know, that's like the consequence for that is like, okay, you're gonna like get a lower letter grade in your class or you're gonna have to drop that quiz or you're gonna have to do some extra credit. But what was going on in Thessalonica is they quit their jobs. It wasn't like they took a vacation day. They quit their jobs, okay? And so you have to understand this because what was going on with the lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands is that all three of these are really together, okay? Because they were all wrapped up into this idea that they, the people that Paul was talking to was like, hey, you're out in the public and you're making a big deal about Jesus coming back. And the problem with that is people are starting to think you're crazy. I mean, Paul doesn't say that, but that's what's going on. Because in, in, in one way, he, he kind of referred to them as busybodies, as busybodies. And what it means, what the term busybody really means is that like, you look like you're talking about something important, you look like you're doing something important, but you're, there's no results for what you're doing. You're just saying Jesus is coming back and, and you're not doing Christianity any favors in this moment because people just see you like needing a meal and they're seeing you needing some help paying the bills right now. And this was, Paul was so passionate about this and this is what he said. He said, this is why, I, this is how he finishes the verse. Okay, I wanna go back to it. He says, the result of um, you know, living a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. This is the result. That's so that is the result. Your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And what was going on was they were watching people go to work, but then they were needing to like get a meal from someone. And he's saying, listen, you're losing respect. You need to win the respect of outsiders. And this term outsiders, this is not offensive. This is just people that are outside the faith. They just don't believe what you believe. They're outside the faith. 
And we need to win the respect of outsiders and we need to not be dependent upon anyone. And that's what Paul was saying to them. And Paul was the best person to write this letter. Do you know why? Because Paul wasn't dependent upon anybody because Paul was an incredible tent maker. That's what he did for a living. And everywhere he went, he sold tents. He made tents and sold tents. And that's how he made his living. And he was amazing at it. He was amazing at it. And he documents all the time when they were taking out this offering for the church, he never handled the money. He had other people handle the money and he made sure it got back to the church in Jerusalem. And he paid his own way. And he was always so grateful for any gratitude he got along the way, but he paid his own way by, by being a tent maker. So he was the expert at writing this. And he says, you got to win the respect of outsiders. And that's what we're talking about. If you want to have influence, this is what we were saying about fighters tonight right here. It says, here we go. Yeah. The fight for influence begins with winning respect. The fight for influence begins with winning respect. That's how we can change the perception of Christianity, that you have to win respect. You have to win respect for your coworkers. You have to win respect of your classmates. That's what you've got to do. And you do it by leading a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your hands when I was in grad school, I met a friend uh, named Andy. And Andy, um, I really, just to be honest with you, um, I kind of was envious of Andy. He was the guy that always had his assignments done early. He, he made straight A's. He had a girlfriend. He met this girl first semester. They started dating. They got married. I mean, his life was all together. And one day we were in the dining hall and the line was really long. And I just said, Andy, I just got to tell you, man, you are crushing it. I mean, you, you do everything so well. And Andy shared with me as we were waiting, he said it, was, it, it wasn't always like that. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you'd be really surprised. When I was in college at Bowling Green University, I was the leader of my campus ministry. I was the president of our student campus ministry. And I was so into it, I poured my life into my campus ministry. And I didn't really care about school at all. And I just, you know, every conversation I'd get in, I was trying to recruit people to come to our campus ministry. I didn't study at all. And one day I was in class and my professor, who was an atheist, um, handed back my exam grade. And when he handed me an exam, he held onto the paper and he handed it to me. And when I took hold of it, he looked me right in the eyes and says, um, when do you start taking this class as serious as you take your campus ministry, you might start doing well in my class. And on his grade, it wasn't a failing grade, but it was not a very, very good grade. It was like just in the passing realm. And Andy said the look on his professor's face made him so embarrassed and so convicted all in that moment because he confirmed every suspicion. Andy confirmed every suspicion that the atheists had about Christians in that moment. That were lazy, we don't care about the things that are important, that we don't work hard. And it changed Andy's life in that moment because Andy knew he did not have the respect of outsiders. So how about you? How about you tonight? How are you doing in this? What are you ambitious about? Are you, are you ambitious about leading a quiet life? If so, what do you need to do to start being a person who leads a quiet life? 
Are you ambitious about minding your own business? Are you ambitious about working? And what does that mean for us in this culture? Because in that culture, it was like working with your hands, like literally working with your hands. What does it mean for us? It means be diligent, be faithful, do your work well, whether that's your schoolwork or whether that's how you're paying the bills right now with your part-time job or your full-time job. But be faithful in that. And I believe that you can change the perception of Christianity on your campus. I just want to close by just telling you why this is so important. How many of you are freshmen in the room? Just show of hands again, okay? All you introverts, get your hands up too, okay? Okay, freshmen in the room. I just want y'all to look around. Freshmen, keep them up just for a second. Come on, freshmen. All right, all right. I just want you to look around. All right, put your hands down. Seniors, where are all my seniors in the room? Seniors in the room, up high. Man, seniors, way to go, way to represent, okay? Well done. I want to tell you, I could bring Chrissy up here. I could bring Kelsey Eichbauer. Kelsey's over here. I could bring them up here. No, I'm not, asking, I'm not asking you to come. You're eager to get up here, Chrissy. That's awesome. I'm telling you, each of them, okay, could tell you it's going to go by so fast. It's going to go by so fast. And I'm telling you as well, no one's going to tell you. No one's going to tell you that you need to think about being intentional with your influence. No one's going to tell you how to do that in college. And I'm telling you, if you don't think about these things and you come up with a plan and you start getting intentional about leading a quiet life and minding your own business and working really, really hard, you are not going to have influence and you will not win respect of outsiders. And we need you to do that to change the perception of Christianity on our campuses and in the city, and I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these students, God. I thank you for bringing them to Atlanta. I thank you for bringing them to these campuses um, or to their jobs or whatever they're doing right now, God. And um, you have blessed them tremendously, and I pray, God, that they would see you in the midst of all of that, that you have strategically located them here in this city for this season. And I pray they'd make the most of it for your namesake. So would you give them favor and would you help them be people who win the respect of people who do not believe in you? And that we would see many people in the city come to know you as a result of the way that they live out their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.